I was in, in desperate, desperate straits for years. And in what, I mean, in the simplest sense of the word, I, I had to and did fix myself. I didn't get any inverted commas help. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today I'm so excited we've got Simon Mitchell in the room and we're just doing audio today because we're in a boardroom at a workspace and I've convinced him to tell us his story and share all his wisdom with us for the very first time. No pressure. Wow. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Pleasure to be here, I think. <laughs> um, so Simon and I have only recently connected, and I know a lot of his story and the stuff that's impacted him to do with mental health, but also just life stuff. And so I was just really curious to lock you in. The first time we met, I was like, we're locking in a date, <laughs> and you can't get out of it. <laughs> I certainly feel captured. He's captured. He's free, guys. Just You can't see him, but he's totally free. <laughs> so Simon, give our listeners a little sense of you what do you do what are you passionate about at the moment well i'm a cco of rice we're an on-demand well-being platform for the modern workplace and our mission really is to enable people companies to connect their employees with well-being services both mental and physical so we want to we want to normalize the way people view and engage with mental as well as physical health services so this is really what's what's driving me at the moment and I guess when we first met, I was we met in a networking capacity and yes. just thinking about Rise, and we'd, we've been in sort of similar circles. And my question is always, hmm, people that are in this space, like what's their personal connection to the topic or to the idea? And I think I asked you that then, but what's, yes. what drives you? How come you're involved in this topic? Yes, well, I mean, I, um, my, my well-being journey, as it were, mm. sort of started some time ago, but um, it was... My, my real involvement with, with Rise and my real interest in it came from its, its kind of its mission to bring mental health into the workplace. I kind of realised that I'm a, I'm a man, you know, 41-year-old man, uh, that's, uh, that, that hasn't really necessarily engaged with reflecting on his own mental mm. health or, or, or that of, of those around me. But... My father actually, it must, it must be about, I think it's about 10, 11 years ago, he actually committed suicide. And as you can imagine, that was, that was you know, pretty traumatic at the time. And he actually, the, the catalyst really for that was when my father lost his job. He worked in financial services, he was a money broker. Mm. And he was an old school man in old school industry. Where work is his identity. And, 100%. 100%. Yeah. That was where his value was derived from. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, I don't, think he would, I don't think he'd ever uttered the words mental health, but... No, uh, and so just jump back for a second. Like, yeah. what was the context growing up? Like, 
Was mental health talked about? Did you know, like as a kid, did you even, as a young boy, a young man, yes, really, did you even get this topic? That's a really interesting question, actually, because the direct answer is no, it wasn't. Mm. And yet it was a massive part of my my family's story. My My mother, she had anxiety issues. She got addicted to Valium. Mm. She was checked into the Priory, actually, before it was trendy. Right. So actually, actually probably the coolest thing she's ever done. Um, uh, and for some time, I had another close family member, again, with anxiety issues that was admitted to hospital for a while. Did you, was there honesty about why they'd gone no. to hospital? Did you well, get it or? Yeah. Well, when I used to sit, I used to, you know, as a, you know, I think I was quite young at the time, mm. before I was a teenager or around a teenager. But it was apparent um, that, you know, my mum had mental health issues based on mm. the chats we'd have under the stars right. in the early yeah. hours of the morning. Sure. Um, but no, it wasn't actually talked about. It, we, it, wasn't, it wasn't explained to me and it wasn't discussed openly, really. There wasn't that kind of dialogue in my family. And likewise, my father, I mean, he was one of those dads. I mean, he was physically ever present, but emotionally never there. Mm. So we would never discuss anything remotely emotionally related. It just didn't exist. That's just the way it was. Yeah, absolutely. It, was, it just never came up, despite the fact that, you know, we had family members that were deeply affected by it. That's amazing. And then how did that just like role modeling of your father or other men growing up kind of affect how comfortable you were with talking about emotions and things? Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's quite interesting, really. Like, as I say, my, my dad was... I didn't necessarily have the, the, the best relationship with my dad, actually. Mm. Um, I was far closer to my, my mother, mm-hmm. who was you know, a gregarious, outgoing character. I think by today's standards, as a mother, as parents, actually, they would be, I'd probably be put in social services in some <laughs> respects. They'd send me to bed with a Mars bar. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, we didn't do homework or activities right. or reading. Um, <laughs> I just got kicked out the front door, yeah. and told to come back. But my relationship with my, my dad was, was emotionally wasn't really there. But my mother, the one thing she did do brilliantly, a lesson that she's taught me, um, actually, that is in spite of you know, many disadvantages that you might inherit or let's say pass on to your children, whether voluntarily or not, you can make up with that with effusive, unconditional affection. Mm. And that's the thing I really got. I was so validated and cared for and loved. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I fucked up, I got bollocked. <laughs> you knew about it. Oh, fuck it. Sure. Um, but <laughs> but in, in the absence of me doing bad, the default position was that I knew I was loved, accepted, encouraged. And it feels like that was the overpowered everything else is all I needed and so that's something I've taken forward now so I actually got that my I don't know how to describe it but my mm. you know my emotional fertility mm. was was actually it was seeded by my mother mm. and not my father which you know I gather relationship with your same-sex parent is supposed to be the most the, the primary or most important thing I don't know there's probably different theories I guess that, it right? depends yeah I guess it depends on the ability to talk about emotions and if you were taught by your parents and how that affects your well, that's relationship. The thing, right? We didn't talk about it. Yeah. So I just I just that's got I just got 
I just felt, I felt positive emotion, let's say. Sure, yeah, yeah, and, and you felt loved. That's absolutely the most crucial thing as a that, kid. Yeah, that, I, I, guess it, I guess it must be. I guess it must be. It must be. It must yeah. be, have paid for off me, in some way. For me at least, for me at least. <laughs> and so, obviously, your dad ended his own life in absolute tragedy. Yes. In, in the lead up to that, so I know you, you had some challenges, I guess, in university. Like, what were your, yeah. what was going on for you when it came to just normal adversity and challenges in life? Do you, feel, do you feel like you were resilient, that you could just handle stuff, or would it knock you? I probably, I, I did feel resilient, actually. Mm. When I mean, my, when I was, you know, at university, I, uh, that's when I kind of experienced my own mental health issues. It was a uh, bit of a wild time. Quite, sure. quite hedonistic. I know the times. Yeah. Yes. Um, Lots I, of partying. I, I'm told that I know them, I just can't remember. Yeah, of course um, you can. <laughs> uh, but that's the best evidence, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, don't need a double blind study for that one. <laughs> no. Nope. Um, but I mean, as a, as a direct result of that, I mean, the thing, certain things happened. My grandmother died when I was at university. She lived with us. You know, she, she, was, okay. um, yeah. she was quite important in my life. But in, in reality, I just, I kind of burnt out somewhat mm. at uni. And I suffered some tremendous mental difficulties. I was, I was primarily paranoid, also anxious, mm. but wasn't entirely apparent. I, I, got, I got my degree, a good degree, a good university. I, um, I was actually considering going and doing a practitioner document, a doctorate in um, clinical psychology. Really? Yeah, didn't do that. Yeah. I decided to go and be a salesperson instead. Sure. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's always one or the other. Um, <laughs> yeah, sales or yeah, psychology. Yeah, 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 clearly the same. You thing. need some psychology in sales anyway, right? It's people. Well, but apparently so, although my course was mainly about, I don't know, AI and oh, I see. brains. Yeah, it Got was, it. Yeah, <laughs> very empirical and worthy. But, but anyway, I, I actually, I was, I was selected by Pareto Law. They're a grad sales mm. company that, that deal with graduates. And so, you know, did some assessment, put a suit on, went to assessment centres and the like. But this was off the back of my time at university. I mean, I had to move out from my, my house at university because I couldn't, I couldn't be around those people anymore. The relationships then were completely broken down. I had to move in by myself. I came, I'd come home during the summer. Did anyone know that you were struggling? Did you talk to anyone about... At university, I did. My, I mean, my, my dad actually had to essentially come and get me. Okay. So they were very aware that I'd, I, I was struggling. And I, some of my friends knew that as well, but I don't think it really manifested itself in a way that suggested it was the same old Simon who was struggling. Mm. I was, it's as, if I, it's as if I changed for the worst, I think. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to say, but I can only reflect on that based on the relationships that I had with people that just degraded. Mm. I think partly because I was always, you know, a bit of a loud mouth, gregarious, apparently confident, mm-hmm. apparently self-assured. I think this mix of paranoia and self-doubt and questioning and... Well, we can overcompensate with, like, yeah, arrogance and confidence and all it, of that. It, it became quite a toxic mix. Yeah. I think, I think, my, I think, I think, I think people just thought I'd become a bit of a twat. Uh, it happens, right? People go to uni and what have you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. 
But it got to the point where your dad actually came. Do you remember a phone call or talking to your parents or was it just... I mean, it's on reflection. I mean, I'd love to be able to talk to them both now. They're no Mm. longer here. But um, they knew there was something up with me. Mm -hmm. They just knew it. I think, I think, I mean, I was doing some really rather... Risky. Well, I mean, no. So, for example, to this day, actually, I love quotes. I love quotes. I love a good quote. Yep. Um, But, for example... I did, I'd, I'd written out all of my favourite quotes on a printer. I'd, I'd type them out, put them on a printer, yeah. cut them all up and started putting them all over the wall. Yeah, just so to... there's like, a fine line between liking quotes and you walk someone walking into a room and it looking yeah. like a serial killer's basement. <laughs> was it becoming boy <laughs> like I'm going to say yes. Uh, so it was. It was. They they knew me well enough to know that that it wasn't it wasn't going well. But but fast forwarding that to mm. Pareto Law, and when I I, mm-hmm. I decided you know moving forward with the career I was going to do, this was only a few months later. Realistically, you know, you get summer through to autumn through to when I started my first job in um, in in December. But during that that selection process, like it was two like the two week onboarding thing you did. I mean, I'd go into the toilet lunchtime whilst everyone else was presumably having lunch. Socialising. I'd sit in the toilet and argue with the voices in my head every day. And actually, I joined my first company as a graduate. I was there for three years in the end and the whole time was an immense struggle. I suffered from, essentially from paranoia, and anxiety the entire time. It took me years, years mm. to get over it, to get through it, but it affected relationships with people around me. And of course, particularly in a work environment, first impressions mm-hmm. are so important. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would meet with people for the first few times. And again, I think someone who apparently is confident, but at the same time, acts frankly, acting paranoid, it makes yeah. people uncomfortable. Yeah, people don't quite know how to No, it just it, yeah. it feels off, right? And so I was, I struggled, I, I could see people's reaction to me, yeah. I was aware of it, yeah. but I mean, I was, I was in, in desperate, desperate straits for years. And in what, I mean, in the simplest sense of the word, I, I had to and did fix myself. I didn't get any inverted commas help. Mm. And I didn't feel like you really knew how to ask for help either at that stage. No, I just, I, absolutely right. So I, you have to figure it out. I, it just didn't occur to me. Mm. It didn't occur to me that there was a means or a possibility to do that. It was a, it was a secret. Mm-hmm. It was a secret. But probably a shameful secret. That's what I resonate with for myself. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was very hard to, it, it was very hard to. Um, it was very hard to to share it with people because it wasn't as if it was bound to some kind of tragedy or it, it, there was ah. no it, there was not like I, I just it was a secret yeah. that I just I, I just didn't even really connect with. On the one hand, I, I was very aware of me going through this every single day, mm. but I didn't share it with with anyone. I was one thing that I chuckled about recently when I joined that first company. The day I joined, I joined with a friend of mine. His name's Steve. And we literally roomed, you'd be like, hello mate, you're right mate? Yeah, right, we're gonna be working together. Yep, <laughs> sure we get a flat. Yeah, great, that was it. 
I mean, we actually went on to start two companies together. Okay. We sold two companies together. Right. We're friends to this day. And I was talking with him recently about it, and he never knew. He never knew. He never knew. And you're struggling every single day. He, I was talking to the voices in my head in the toilet, and he never knew. And actually, the help I didn't ask for mm. is one thing, but the help I got was that friend. I thought he, at the time, I thought he must have had an idea, let's put it that mm -hmm. way. But I was very aware that he was my friend. And that was my support. Mm. I had that. Mm -hmm. Away from home, working in a new company, etc. I mean, that's the thing that actually probably kept me going. I don't think, yeah. I don't think, I don't think I could have recovered without him. And as I say, the thing that I find quite amazing actually is that I say recently we were having this chat, you know, and um, you know we were we decided to share our feelings after uh, 15 years. I love how And share our feelings. Hi. But no, he he didn't realise. He said he had no idea. That's incredible. It, I just. And so then, how did you? You said you sort of, you fixed yourself or you figured out ways, like what did you figure out? What were the, the if you look back, the top things that you did that helped you get out of it? Well, I mean, I, I say fix myself now, that's kind of looking back in hindsight. Sure, I, you, know, you survived I it somehow. That's far better way, yeah. that's a far better way of putting it. <laughs> you got through it. Yeah, thank you. But I think little by little, you know, as time separated me from the worst of it and you know, I, I, I'm a very forward-looking person, just generally speaking. Mm. I don't look back on on the bad or the good, really. I just always seem to sort of look forward. Yeah. I think that helped me. And I I was I was managing to make some good choices with fortunate consequences and work hard and I focus on the positive things and small improvements day to day in my life. Okay. Um, and there was uh, probably a completely uh, useless reference, but there's a golfer called Nick Faldo from back in the day. And um, he had this phrase, confidence is feedback. And it's always stuck with me. I think it's so in incredibly true. And by that I meant the small positive things that would happen, mm. though interactions with people, when it went well, rather than when it went badly, when it felt good, as opposed to when it felt ick. Mm. Um, I took that feedback as positives and that's what slowly grew my confidence which then fed back into how I was engaging and interacting with other people. I love that because then over time you're building up a body of evidence of every time that you stood in front yeah. of people or you had a good relationship. Or totally. A, and like yeah. as, as with so many things in life, right, you can't, if you want to go from here all the way over to there in one go, it's impossible. Yeah. But when you break it down into very, very small steps and take each tiny positive piece of feedback, every inch that you gain, yeah. slowly you work your way forwards. And I think that's, that's how it happened. You know, a generally positive mindset, but making sure that you're open and aware of every positive thing that you can grab. Because even if it's still generally shit. You are building up a bank account. 
you're filling a bucket, yeah. whatever you, whatever metaphor yeah, yeah, you yeah. want to use. You're investing in and, some way. And like, it's a bit like, a, I think it's a bit like scales, really. Mm. There came a point at which the scales tipped. It's like threshold. But at the beginning, it feels like you're making barely yeah, any progress. Precisely, because scales don't move. I, you know. I love that like, picture. I've, I've got, I think life is threshold based. It's not linear. Mm-hmm. So you think you put in one, you put in one unit, and you should get one unit output. It's not the same. It's mm. more like scales. Yeah. And I think it, there was a point at which one more little drop in the barrel, and that shift allowed me to then sort of gain momentum with it. So, like you said, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fix myself, but I kind of, I just got through it. And you got felt tr- you built your resilience, and you found ways to cope and to survive. Yeah, I, absolutely. And so I managed to get through that part of of my life um, and then pretty much just substituted one massive stressor for another (laughs) as we do as we do yeah yeah. Um, okay so that's kind of your formative years as a young man and just trying to figure out this crazy shit called life right um and then you've obviously touched on your your dad ending his life how old were you at that point i think i was 30 Okay, so, About then. so yeah. you've, you've coped, you've worked on businesses, um, your dad's passed away, I know you said your, your mum's passed away as well, so you've had a string of, shall we say, challenges, traumas, things that have happened. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, it's quite, I mean, what's, the, the, during the sort of my late 20s and early 30s, my, you know, business career was ostensibly going really well, you mm. know, with myself and Steve, who I mentioned yeah, earlier yeah, on. Yeah. We grew, we grew two companies from you know, twenty two people to sort of twenty five people. Mm-hmm. We became, you know, leaders in our field. That's true. We sold our business mm-hmm. as well, which went really well, which mm-hmm. is great, right? Amazing. That's brilliant, really. Yeah. But you know, you know, what people don't see is the fact that that business nearly went bust for three years in a row because mm. we were driving it so hard mm-hmm. and being incredibly ambitious with it. We were taking calculated risks. But you know, walking home when you've employed somebody, and their life is dependent on you. How stressful is that? Right? Well, and mm-hmm. plus the fact we weren't, we were, we were in some ways gambling our business. Mm. We were driving it forwards, and at times, you almost felt irresponsible. And everything was tied. Everything was tied to success in this business, because that's what education, university, mm. our prior careers, it, it all, all leads to led to it. So anyway, so it was, it was, you know, as I said, you know, myself and Steve would describe it, no one's going to cry for us in yeah. that sense. Yeah. But it was incredibly stressful. And, and it's all hours and... Yep, all hours, never off. So. Could you sleep? Like, how did it, was it, did it affect your mental health at all then? Um, or was it just like drive, drive, drive and these things? I've never been a great sleeper, but my sleep wasn't too bad, but... Mm. When I became I became sedentary, and I'd eat, I'd get home at nine okay. o'clock at night and eat a huge meal. Yeah. And then I put on five stone. And stare at a laptop and yep. just and stay punched over. Yeah. And, and so my back was fucked, and right. my hip flexors were fucked because I was sitting in the same place all day, every day, looking at a screen. Yeah. Whilst being how glamorous. 
building well, a business. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Sounds a lot like my Looking life at the moment. <laughs> well, leading up to when you're 30 and yes. you then have this big trigger point of your your dad, like yeah. So yeah. it was it was stressful. It was that stressful that, anyway. That was stressful. Driving forward a business. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to forget some very important things. But so when my dad committed suicide, in terms of what led up to it, he and my mother had not been getting on very well for some time. Uh, to say the least. And my mum was chronically ill. She had uh, kidney failure. She was mm. on dialysis mm -hmm. and amongst other things. And it's fair to say that their relationship was not very good at all, mm. which put stress on me, family and, and whatever. But my dad's behaviour... Yeah, were there signs? That's what I'm always curious about in hindsight. Was he, cause he was, because he was always behind, he was always behind frosted glass, mm. my dad. Mm -hmm. So it meant didn't really tell. Not really. I mean, you could. He was drinking more, but he always drank a lot. Mm. He was. It was difficult to spot. One thing I did find out about the prior two, after he committed suicide, and after I'd spoken to people, is in the weeks and months before he did he did it, he met with a number of people current friends, lapsed friends, and he met up with them mm. um, on a, for lunch, whatever. And, you know, apparently to reconnect, see them again, because he was saying he was going away. So going, it was quite premeditated he, oh, abs then. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, well, and I mean, let's say weeks and months, and some people it was simply he's going away. Mm. I mean, well, I can't remember who it was, but someone mentioned he's, he said he was going away somewhere where no one could find him. Okay much closer to the time. So I guess stringing it all together now, that sort of makes well, it, sense. But at the time, you just he wasn't of... He wasn't doing it within the family. I no. mean, a couple of days before, he transferred some money around some accounts, mm. left no note or, or anything similar to that. In mm. fact, I mean, he actually went, technically went missing. Mm. I mean, that wasn't a pleasant day, actually. So I spent a day or two looking for him, essentially. He actually, he actually committed suicide in a hotel Mm. In uh, in King's Cross, um, which I which I see in every day, mm. uh, quite bizarrely now. But he, for him, it was it was very much a premeditated thing. Someone, and he was trying to do it out of the way so it wouldn't like. Yeah, I mean, in in a sad sense, I mean, his life was pretty shit mm. in many ways. And depending on what you value, do you value relationships? Do you value the people you love? People that love you. Mm. Do you value your purpose, your career? Mm -hmm. What are the things that you value? Your expectations of the future? And if you wrote it down and you scored it and mm. weighted it, his life was in a really bad place. Yeah. The, the sadness of it is, is that he felt there was no other way to deal with it. And no one to talk to. It's like he didn't have the skills to communicate what was going on. He, he, he really didn't. And he did have a couple of really good, well, I say good, let's call them close relationships. Mm. Good mates or people he'd hang out with. And yet he, it wasn't as if he didn't have anyone. Mm. That would be untrue, but that makes it somewhat more tragic, I think, because mm. if he'd have had, if he'd have had the, the vocabulary or... That's what it is, the education, the understanding that as a man it's okay to ask for help, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, he, he just, he literally hadn't he didn't have the words or the vocabulary i don't think he'd ever described or talked about his emotions no in uh, the one thing i do remember that it was really i i laughed at the time me and my dad had our sex education chat 
Oh, very good. My mum was out <laughs> for an evening, which was rare. We were watching TV. We were sitting by the, by the TV. He said, um, he went, so, uh, you started uh, sex education, yeah? <laughs> and I said, yes. <laughs> were you 25? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I was 30, 31. <laughs> and, um, and you're like, yes, I have. <laughs> and he went, what? With rabbits? And I said, no. That was the end of the chat. <laughs> Verbatim, that one. But that that was... Um, that was as far as his That life. was the most emotionally engaging conversation I'd ever had with my father. Aww. So that that was my... Uh, what with rabbits is about the extent to which... Uh, the, he felt what, reassured you knew something. Yeah, that life. was the lexicon. But anyway, so he just, he just didn't have... He didn't have the didn't have the means to express it, just didn't have the tools, just didn't have it. And so there's the tremendous shock about the way this, this, this all went down. There's the trying to piece it together in hindsight. I imagine there's supporting family members. There's a role that you play in trying to support people. Yeah. I mean, what was the effect on you? Yeah, um, a family member at the time said, took me to one side and said, this is either going to bring everybody together. together or it's going to break Isn't that them apart. interesting how that happens? At the time, mm-hmm. I didn't even register. Yeah. And good God, it's true. Interesting. And we fractured and broke apart. Really? Yeah. In the worst way. And Is that just, why is that? Is that because people deal with grief differently? People yes. get angry about yes. just shit stuff? It, it's one of those things. I mean, it's, if, if, if a family is, is about relationships and the same rules apply for relationships mm. amongst most people, I guess. Yeah. You know what it's like. The, those little the little irks or the fractures that are there. That you kind of keep papered over. Yeah. And when you, when you shoot a bomb into the room, those little cracks, those little fractures, they They're become chasms. Irreparable. And, I mean, it was like a textbook. It just... Things, issues from the past, mm. old argument, they just found a way. It wasn't a short, straight line, but they all found a way to rework them back into the present. And that's an ongoing thing. It's oh. not like a one day to the next. That's three to six months or a year of yeah. all of this stuff blowing up, right? Es- essentially, the relationships that were left in the family. Mm. Partly at the same time, one by one, they fractured, broke down. So it's like a double, quadruple, whatever, yeah. times ten tragedy rather than just the one it, thing. Oh, it really was. I mean, yeah. I mean, probably change the names to protect the guilty. But um, <laughs> the, you know, the, there were relationships between, you know, myself and other close members of my family mm. and members of their families that were broken because people couldn't the, the people did things said things bad things yeah, yeah. that they just couldn't were, take that but perhaps weren't willing to it was it was just it was an absolute fucking mess actually and it's like a ripple effect so people start to buddy up with other people in the family i mean it was it was what what i learned from it mm. what i learned from it is just how the, the suicide in its first instance is the start Mm. It's not, it, that's the start of the consequences. And they go on 
and it just affects people's lives forever. Yeah, just in so and, many ways. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I think there are more positive stories in that respect than than my one, but it's just the effect it had on two generations of our family. You know, um, is is phenomenal, really. Mm. But it was, um, but it was tough. I mean, like, like I said, I didn't have my, I didn't have a a great relationship with my dad in in one sense. I mean, the last the last time I saw him, essentially we had an argument, which wasn't great. But I don't really focus on that too much. We were always gonna have that argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's not like um, I'd be more pissed off if I'd uh, if I'd regretted the disagreement. Sure. Um, yeah. But um, you know, my it left my mum living alone, sick on ill on dialysis, etc. And so there were things to focus on that were very current and present. And you kind of just have to go into survival mode at the beginning, don't you? To oh. look out for people, to just keep your business afloat, to it, just do it, the things to survive. Yeah, the world became very, very small. Yeah, very one small. day at a time, sort what? people out. It became about the four walls we were in. Yeah. I think I was saying to you before, it's like, I thought I was doing really well. Mm -hmm. People around me told me I was doing really well. And that's because I was... Seems to be your thing, though. On the outside, you're just like, keep it going. Everything's yeah, well, fine. Showing up at work. Yeah. You know, getting results. I wasn't being erratic. I wasn't... I wasn't... Losing your shit. I wasn't losing my shit. Yeah. weren't having outbursts. You weren't seeing me staring into... You know, yeah. I looked all good in one sense. Yeah. But, like I say, when I look back, you know, I thought I was... I thought I was, had become, not sure... Not so sociable, mm -hmm. comfortable in my own world, in my own skin. Thought I, you know, I thought at 10 o'clock at night, that was the time I needed to go to bed. Mm -hmm. Thought I liked sitting on the couch with my laptop. It was all a result of the stress. So and there's no like joy or like connection, deep connection or things that would maybe make life fun it, or? It was, it, it was, it was I, this, the thing, probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realise it at the time because <laughs> I was used to, I was used to getting through stuff. Mm. I was, I considered myself someone that had grit and I took strength from that. Yeah. But the downside of that is you, you become, a, you, you become oblivious, let's say, to your own pain, as it were. You get so to you sort of avoid it in that routine of yeah. whatever normal mediocrity. I was just every night, night after night, just sitting in the same four walls on the same couch, yeah. looking at the same laptop. Saying I'm fine. Saying I'm fine. And so when did the cracks begin to show or how did they begin to show for you? It was, from my point of view, I guess, I never really realized how much everything had taken out of me. Because mm, it and, builds up tiny little bits at a, over time, and, right? Until it, inverted commas, until it ended. Mm. And so there's obviously, the you know, there's my dad died, my mum died, uh, how many years later? Three or four? Three years later? Probably. Mm -hmm. That's incredibly tough, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And that was upheaval at that. I mean, Christ's sake, we had to go, she had two dogs that she adored. I had to move out of my flat, top floor flat, to go and live in her old house because I couldn't bear to get rid of the dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who Changes got, who got cancer and died immediately? <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't make the stuff up. Damn it! Um, but it, so you moved away from where I was to where. Yeah. I grew up in where the place where I lived, where my mother had died. I mean, yeah. you know, da -da -da -da. But when 
we sold the previous business and that kind of chapter ended and the stress of that finished. I took some time out from work, at least, at least okay. the grindstone. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough. Um, I still did. I still did other things. I sort of got involved with some sort of pro bono work around mm. the sort of local area and chamber of commerce, what have you. But essentially, I took some time away from what my old life looked like, and it took me. It was. It took me about six months to a year, and I started to get myself back. I didn't realise it had gone, mm. and. To this day, I mean, how many people get the opportunity to take six, 12 months out to just decompress? Yeah. It doesn't fucking happen. No. And That's I had no you idea. How much was building up? And how much it Until you stopped. And that, that to me now makes me think, perhaps in, in many cases, I don't know, I can't speak potentially for everybody, of course, but mm. maybe let's say people like me. Mm -hmm. They're the precisely the people that don't realise they're fucked. Mm. Because, because they can point to good relationships or they can point to business success sure. or something similar to yeah. moving forwards, but they're losing a big part of who they are. They, they think that's how much energy they've got. They think that's how good their relationships are. They think that's If you how, compared that to what life is like now for you or it, for me. Exactly. It's like it's, like a night and day, right? It's like night and day. But did you, did you have, like some people can look back and say they had a moment where they just went, I can't fucking live like this. Like I've realized this is my rock bottom or this is my point. Or for, it sounds like it was more gradual for you. But yeah, I mean, for, for me as well, I realized from a personal point of view, kind of my, my mental health and my physical health were quite closely linked. I love how you talk about this because it so applies to so many people. Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, I was, when, I was, when I was growing up as a teenager, I was active every day. Yeah. My chemistry, my identity was almost, was built around that mm -hmm. and then became completely sedentary. But during this sort of period, we've been talking about as well. I put on a lot of weight, mm. completely sedentary, really bad back problems, mm -hmm. joint problems, what have you. There was one moment, actually, we were in centre parks on like a family holiday with friends and uh, playing badminton. And I snapped my Achilles. Brutal. And you're like young. Yeah. <laughs> you're still young-ish. Yeah, young-ish. But the point being is I knew enough I'd had a lot of injuries when I was younger. Yeah. But I knew when I'd snapped it, I knew, do you know what? This is your last shot. Because if you don't rehab this properly, you'll be limping for life. Yeah. And okay. I, and I knew I had to do it properly. And so this was coincided with the time that I'd been out of the business or the, the stressful part of those prior businesses. So you'd had a bit of reflection time this, as well, but I'd slowing had down. Sort of the, almost like the mental decompression. Yeah. Which was great. Mm -hmm. But then the physical this thing is happened. The, 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 the physical thing that then started to, to work its way in. I need to rehab it, so I need to go to the gym. And so I thought, I just need to engage something to keep me going back. So I'm like boxing, so I started to box. At my gym, they had a triathlon. So I thought, right, I'm going to go for that. Yeah. <clears throat> so I did a triathlon five and a half months. Five and a half months. 
after Achilles reconstruction, which is not advisable because it's going to run. You take a lot of risks, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but I like it. It's like you you want but, a goal to work towards. But the thing the thing about it was is that I realised that the wake up call, the thing that happened then, yeah. um, I didn't I wouldn't have had the energy to do that six months a year prior. Yeah. Because I just you mean mentally? Mentally, like, absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, like, I wouldn't have had the ability to to cope with overcoming a physical challenge, and as I started to regain some um, some physical fitness, some activity and the like, that started to affect my energy levels. My energy levels started to affect my overall state of mind and my okay. mood. Yeah. That then allowed me to start reflecting on how I was living my life, how important it is to become active and how that plays a part in how you feel mentally and then how that should impact your work life and how the two go together. And I, at that point, so I, you know, shed load of, shed load of weight, but I felt better, I was more energized. I started to incorporate activity into part of my daily life, whether it be the gym or walking or triathlon or mm-hmm. boxing or whatever. And I just made a commitment to myself that I was going to build that in every day. And that whereas once before I'd be tied to a desk yeah. for 12 hours in a day, and I couldn't have enjoyed anything else because of the pressure of being there. Yeah. Couldn't have done anything else. Now it was, no, you now need to take into account time for physical health, time for yourself. You have to invest in yourself in that way. And likewise, you know, relationships. So I take my kids to school every Wednesday morning to pick them up every Wednesday evening. Mm-hmm. That's a day in which they come first. Yeah as well as exercise, and my work life now fits around that. I'm now working harder, smarter, and probably a better way of putting it, than I ever have done. But you're healthier, and, and your and mind life, is strong, and yeah, you're staying focused. And, and life is, is balanced to some extent. But it was, you know, in terms of my what happened with me, that, that was the, I couldn't have had the energy or, or the, the headspace to address my physical fitness without being lucky enough, let's put it that way, to just be able to decompress. Probably didn't feel lucky at the time, but... Felt <laughs> <laughs> bloody painful Probably at the time. Felt, yeah, because I bet a lot of your identity was connected to work, and then now you've just got to stop, and it kind of feels like it's because your mum's passed away and because all this family stuff has gone on. But in hindsight, there's this blessing in this moment, this, this year or six months of just going, hold on a minute, stop, listen to your body, reflect on what's going on, and realizing that if you didn't do something, you'd be limping, like it was only going to get worse and be more of a struggle if you didn't invest. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Full on. What advice would you give to young men, I guess? And I don't know if you've ever done talking therapies or anything yourself. No, uh, like this post- the first time. Yes. This is come in. We're only going to put this therapy out to a couple hundred people. Okay, so, so but, but you're quite, like, when we met, you seem quite open. You seem quite self-aware. You've definitely done some reflection. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, I don't even think talking therapy is the way for everyone, but it is talking like, we need yes. to have mates. We need to be able to, like, imagine if your dad just had the self-awareness to talk about some of this stuff, right? T- totally. I mean, and likewise, if he'd have had, if he'd have had the self-awareness, but perhaps the opportunity, encouragement. Yeah, role to, models. To do so. Um, yeah. You know, his, his identity was tied to his work. 
And when they no longer felt him of value, he no longer felt of value. Oh, wow, that's so, deep. So when he, you know, in that sense, and you know, resonates a lot with what we're doing today. I mean, in that sense, yeah, his employer was the custodian of his mental health, mm-hmm. and and they didn't do a good enough job. I mean, this is a few years ago, admittedly, but but nonetheless. What uh, do you think? So just to get back into workplace mental health, what do you think his employer or employers should be doing to support mental health at work? I think. I mean, first thing I guess is is it starts with awareness. And, it, and I think it comes from, very much, it's about the values of a business and that leadership's understanding the mental health, physical health, well-being in general. It currently, primarily, is a cost to that business. Mm. It's a cost in terms of absenteeism, presenteeism, Stop lack of over. engagement. Mm-hmm. There's a cost, but it's also a massive opportunity. What would it like? What it would be like to have happy, engaged, inspired people working for you? What would it feel like for them to have an employer that not only said they cared, but actively mm. enabled them, supported employees to live a balanced, active life with mental and physical well-being built in to their work life? I mean the opportunity for businesses to become more successful and to align people with their organisation is massive. Not every business can be a Google or a Mm. Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Not every business can have a mission statement to organise the world's information and be accessible. You know, how do you get inspiration from people if you're a business that makes teacups? This is one way you can do that, to inspire people and engage them to, to connect them in a world of disconnection, use yeah. technology for good. So anyway, so so I think I think there's a lot that there's a lot of opportunity and understanding now that employers can can bring to bear that maybe once once wasn't there. And so I'd be I I think I think it's I don't think it's just a moral imperative actually. I think it's a, it's a strategic imperative. Did I say that right? Strategic, yes. yeah. <laughs> um, for businesses now because it is. The opportunity, there's an opportunity here as well as a cost, and I think that's what that's what that's the next what generation is trying to answer to. Well, yeah, that's that. Mm. We're, we're part of it, and there's there's a big ecosystem out there that has the opportunity to and can be part of that. So I think that's what employers need to do from that point of view. If people want to find you guys, where can they find you? If they want to find Rise or connect with you, Rise Today. Well, that's just so easy. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll add that into the show notes. Um, finally, what advice would you give to a young man who's like similar to you, who's just pushing hard on all cylinders and suddenly has some yes. kind of trauma hit him in the face and he go, just goes coping like you did? But like, that's, what would you wish that you knew? That's a really interesting question. I'd actually take it in a slightly different way. Mm. I think I'd be interested in talking to the young man like me, mm-hmm. before he got to that point of crisis. Okay, what does he need to know before the crisis? So, I guess in the same way, from a mental health point of view, you know, often a lot of the support and solutions out there for when people kind of, they hit that crisis point. So, in like, if you equate it to, I don't know, the physical health, mm-hmm. if you break your leg or, you know, you get a disease or an illness, you get, you get fixed and you're yeah. broken. 
And it's a bit late then yeah, to do uh, prevention work. So my thing would be to, to look at it at people like me mm. back then. Yeah. And if someone had met, if the, if someone had come to me with the message that you know you can you can de-stress or you can gain more clarity or build more relation better relationships or eat better or sleep better by addressing a kind of these mental challenges as mental opportunities that mm. this is part of prevention mm -hmm. this is a part of your overall life performance let's say that would have got to me i didn't want to admit i had a problem i didn't know i had a problem that needed fixing no but and sometimes we need it in order to wake up but i love yeah. what you're saying it's if you pitch it as performance sustainability success all that stuff just, just in the same way we you know people People get active or get fitter because they don't want to have a heart attack or they yeah. don't want to have arthritis or similar. Yeah. Well, why not take that approach to mental health? And so mental health as a term I find is very loaded, mm -hmm. right? Back to many, people like me perhaps, yeah. that implies a Being crisis mental. that you can't, that yeah. you've not yet had. Yeah. Whereas, it's, I mean, it's important for the needs of everybody to be addressed and covered. My my real my niche mm -hmm. my part of this actually i think is is focusing on preventing people getting to that crisis point and finding ways for them to engage in mental health therapies services and the like that can improve their mental health before it gets to that crisis point i think we need solutions in every part of the spectrum and i think this is an area that's underserved, but I think there's a massive opportunity to make a difference, to prevent some of these issues before they actually impact the lives of, of people, of men and their families. Beautiful. Um, you're absolutely right. And there are those of us who are out there trying, but we need more of us. So people join, join the fight. Simon, thank you so much for your, your vulnerability, your straight talking story and how it's impacting your purpose. I really appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate it. Too. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through petrabelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.